DiscerningHearts.com presents A Handmaid of the Lord The Life and Legacy of Adrienne von Speyer with Dr. Adrian Walker Dr. Walker is an editor of the journal Communio, an international Catholic review. He received his doctorate in philosophy at the Pontifical Gregorian University in Rome. He has served as a translator for the English edition of Pope Benedict XVI's Jesus of Nazareth, as well as numerous other theological works, including those of Hans Urs von Balthasar and Adrienne von Speyer. Adrienne von Speyer is a Swiss convert, mystic, wife, medical doctor, and author of over 60 books on spirituality and theology. She's inspired countless souls around the world to deepen their mission of prayer and compassion. She entered the Catholic Church under the direction of the great theologian Hans Urs von Balthasar. In the years that would follow, they would co-found the secular institute, the Community of St. John. A Handmaid of the Lord, The Life and Legacy of Adrienne von Speyer with Dr. Adrian Walker. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. It's being in the moment wherever he places you and allowing him to shine by doing whatever he tells you. How we discern what he is telling us to do is the purpose of the church and this revelation in scripture. It's those elements that we rely upon, and that's the obedience that she so beautifully always exhorts for us. Right. When we hear words like obedience or like humility, sometimes we get nervous or else we, we, just, we, we think we know already what that means. You know, it means sort of doing what you're supposed to do in order to sort of act like a, a plaster saint or something. And I say that because if we're honest with ourselves, that's how we tend to think about these things. We tend to have a mean conception of our religion and of the greatness of our religion. You're absolutely right. Obedience and humility have to do with being attentive to the signs that are being given. God didn't create and then sort of leave the scene and then maybe he'll come back again later. He creates and then conserves his creation. And St. Thomas says that creation and conservation are the same act looked at from two different points of view. So there's a certain sense in which creation is always happening. That bleeds into providence or the providential governance of the world. That bleeds its, again into what we call the economy of salvation. The point being that God is not just behind us, responsible for our origin. He's also coming towards us constantly with new signs, right? And we have to be attentive enough and flexible enough and care enough. We have to care enough about him. And, and as you always say about our relationship with him, in order to want to get what he's saying. And the reason that we talk about that attentiveness in terms of humility or in terms of obedience is because he's the one that's giving the signs first. So the first thing that we have to do before we start acting or before we even start reasoning is to see what's going on. 
is to register what's going on, is to get what's going on. And that requires a kind of humility and a kind of obedience that we're willing precisely to receive a sign that's being given by another. And the point that I was trying to make earlier, just to connect this, to do that is both to be a person of faith and a person of reason. Because a reasonable person is not a person who just lets things sort of wash over them and sort of says, well, somehow this will all just sort of come out right in the end and I don't really have to do anything. No, a reasonable person is one who is humble enough to be attentive to the meaning of things that are, are sort of coming at him at each moment. So again, the unity of faith and reason, the unity of holiness and being awake, fully awake. What I hear you saying so beautifully is that nature of God, God is love. Love by its very nature has to be shared. Yes. And he shares himself in giving. He gives and gives and gives. He gives creation is the story of God's abundance in his generosity. And then ultimately being at, at the very pinnacle, he gives his son. There is a difference for us. We, I, isn't there a, the choice becomes whether we are going to either be receivers or takers? Yes, that's absolutely right. The giving and receiving start already in God himself. Mm. Uh, we, we haven't talked much about the Trinitarian sort of dimension or horizon of, of Adrienne's theology, but uh, that is an important point. There's a way in which the very generation of the Son is a self-gift of the Father to the Son, so much so that the Father gives the Son not only the divinity, but also a share in breathing forth the Holy Spirit. As we say in, in the Creed, the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. That and is really important for understanding how in God himself, it's all about self-gift and the reception of that. You have to distinguish, I think, between two kinds of taking. You know, there's a good kind and a bad kind. God is capable only of the good kind. The Son wouldn't do justice to the Father's generosity and gift if he didn't take the divinity and didn't take the spiration, the, the breathing forth of the Holy Spirit. But that's not a taking that grasps in order to have for oneself apart from the giver. Maybe because we're afraid that something's going to be taken away from us or because we want to assert ourselves out of out of sort of a perverse self-love, that's obviously completely excluded from all eternity in the Son. Uh, that can't happen in God. God is, is incapable of evil. But we're not God. And so there was the risk that Adam would mix up, as it were, the two different kinds of taking. And in fact, that's what he did. And we're all complicit somehow in that, in that mix-up. But to get over that problem, which again is one of the things that Adrienne helps us to do. I mean, she helps us to get out of ourselves, to pay attention, to look and see what's being given, and 
to take it in the sense that it's being given, not to grasp it for ourselves, you know, like Golem in The Lord of the Rings, you know, my own, my own, but to take precisely because God wants us to receive the gift that's being given. That's what I think is going on. So all of this is about learning how to, how to participate in the Trinity, learning how to be a son with the son, to receive and therefore to take in the right way, not in the wrong way, because God wants to give us everything. That's the whole irony of, of original sin. God wanted it to give us divinity, but not in rebellion, but in sonship. He wanted to give us a participation in the sonship of his son. But it had to be in that attitude, because otherwise you couldn't really receive the gift if you, if you didn't do it in the attitude of sonship. And that's what we didn't get in, in, in Eden, and that's what we still don't get. That's what's still so hard for us to get, is that God not only doesn't want to take anything away from us that's really, that really matters, that's, that really matters to who we truly are supposed to be, he wants to give us a share in his own divinity. Uh, and I'm not making this up. I mean, this is a theme that goes right, that runs right through the whole Christian tradition. The whole point is that if you're going to receive that gift, you've got to do it the way the son does it. And the son, he doesn't take in the sense of, I'm going to grasp this for myself because I'm impatient or because I'm afraid. But he also doesn't cower. He doesn't need to. He knows that all things that belong to the father are his. And that, that's what we're, that's what all this humility and obedience and all of these things that we're talking about, that's what this is about. And that's what Adrienne, I think, helps us understand, that sonship is freedom and freedom is sonship. The Conditions of the World Excerpts from Man Before God by Adrian von Speyer Creation Ordered Toward the Sun and Hope the entire world was created by the Father with a view to the Son. The Father who creates thus shows his love for the Son. As it comes forth fresh and new from the hand of God, the world is pure and free. However, Adam misused his freedom and alienated himself from God, and creation was dragged into this estrangement. Mankind struggles for its place between subjective alienation from God and its enduring objective meaning as created for the Son. Even after the appearance of Christ on earth, this conflict remains within man. In fact, now that the demand of God has been revealed, it becomes greater. The Word of God has issued forth, but man does not want to encounter God because he is afraid that he would have to do what he does not want to do. Namely, he would have to decide to conform himself to his original purpose. So here he prefers to forego knowledge. Of course, many evade this only from ignorance or partial knowledge. They have heard that there is a God who has spoken, who presented himself as a God of love, but who places great demands on men. In both respects, this God opens the meaning of existence beyond finitude. Men shrink back before such a God, 
They long for a religion that does not call into question earthly values and proportions. Thus there arises a sort of contest between the voice of man, which grows louder and louder in order to drown out God, and the voice of God, which maintains its divine volume. The more man wants to decide for himself about his destiny, and thus also about his past and future, the more he falls prey to the limitations of life on earth, the more everything becomes smaller for him. He pushes greatness to the side as absurd. Man would prefer anything rather than to appear absurd. And if he himself has so little knowledge of God, those who come after will know even less. And yet, there are moments, whether he wants them or not, when he has placed before things beyond his ken and his competence, because they seem to come from another world. He denies them, but they still suddenly make their presence known. And because things are created as ordered to the Son of God, this voice from beyond can also resound from a thing, an event, an illumination, from something that is almost nothing, but is nonetheless something. It has meaning as something created for God, and precisely now it seeks to unveil this meaning. It is not about God in all things, but rather all things pointing toward God, pointing toward Christ, about all things as signposts. Man truly needs countless signposts in order to recognize the path. Indeed, even to suspect the path leads in this direction. And yet, it is a path that determines the world. It is, however, directed against the state of the world as the active is against the passive, as life is against death, as obedience and love are against abuse and guilt. The ordering of all things to the sun is a powerful and permanent reality that cannot be denied. It can appear hard, sharp-edged, and merciless. Man must reconcile himself to this unalterability. He cannot break this boulder. It is the primary rock of earthly existence, indeed of the creative power of God. The path of obedience was traced even before man appeared in the world. There are countless points of entry to this path. As you were speaking, I was reminded of Adrienne's beautiful work, Three Women in the Lord, yeah. one that many people may never have heard of. Right. But it, there's a moment in it where Mary of Bethany comes to anoint the feet of Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> it, there, there's so much there, but with the, the thing that I want to pull out of it is that, well, she knew from her prayer to bring this oil to do the will of the Father. It's, this is the same Mary of Bethany who was sitting at the feet of Jesus when her sister Martha said, come and do busy things with me. I need help. And Jesus said to her, said, Martha, Mary has chosen the better thing. As Adrienne points out, she has learned to contemplate and listen to the Father 
by contemplating Jesus. And ultimately, isn't that what we're being pulled to do so we know what his will is, to first sit at the feet of Jesus who will lead us to the foot of the Father? We can sort of dwell with that for a minute, because I think that's a really important thought that maybe we could explain it this way, you know, by asking, well, what do we really want? Don't we want God? Don't we want to be fully alive in God? You know, as St. Irenaeus said, he said two things. The glory of God is man alive, and the life of man is the vision of God. This is what love is, really. In, in the first instance, love means, I'm glad that you exist. Augustine says that, volo utsis, I, I will and I take delight in the fact that you exist. I want you to be. Augustine says this. And that's what's going on here, I think, is that that's what God says to us. That's what he hopes we'll say to him. And so there's a kind of mutual delight in just the very being of the other person. That sounds perhaps boring or it sounds like too little, but if it does, it's only because we really haven't understood what that means. That's everything. That's everything. That starts already, as you were pointing out, uh, in God himself. This is something Adrienne understood so profoundly, but you find it already in Augustine, you know, and in other theologians that, for example, the Holy Spirit is the delight that the Father takes in the Son and the Son takes in the Father. Volo utsis, I want you to be. I'm glad that you exist. That mutual delight. You put it so beautifully, right? When we encounter Christ and have that kind of mutual delight with him, he immediately introduces us into the mutual delight that he has with the Father in the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to participate in the sonship of the Son, what it means to participate in God, as it were, in the role of the Son. Not that we become the Son by nature, of course, but Fathers of the church have not hesitated to say we become all that he is by grace. And Adrienne, I think, is extraordinarily helpful for realizing just what that means, just how concrete that is. And her door, the door into which she, through which she kind of enters into that, is precisely what you were saying before, obedience. We've tried to suggest how beautiful obedience really is and how it's not at all the sort of uh, kind of ugly thing that we, we often think that it is. And obedience as an expression of love, whose measure is the obedient love that we, we see in the life of Christ. Because what is that obedient love? That's what it means for the Son to be doing sonship on earth, just as he's always been doing it from all eternity in heaven. That's, that's what we're talking about. In some ways, we can see obedience as played out in the life of a woman who is open to receiving a child. And it may be her second, her third, maybe her fifth. At the fact that there will come suffering. There's nothing, and I can speak from personal experience, nothing quite as excruciating as childbirth. Yeah, and that's something that us guys can maybe sympathize with, but we can't experience that directly. Yeah, there's the openness to saying, yes, I will do this, because there is such a love that comes. There's something that happens that 
so God is so beautiful. He doesn't, he doesn't divide love. It only multiplies. It's quite extraordinary. And that's what's so, I'll say it, horrific about the age we're in now because of that desire to avoid the love of giving to that and allowing that multiplicity to occur in whatever form it may be, whether it is the family that is open to children or the response of a Mother Teresa to the the poor reaching out and caring, John Paul being open to nurture and shepherd his people because we glorify in what we think and we want to do our will. Adrienne is always, always trying to implore us to sit at the feet and listen, sit at that well and receive and do whatever it'll be okay. Exactly. And I, I think you've, again, pointed out another way in which sort of the natural and the supernatural uh, are one here because it's not because that pain taken in itself is so glorious that we just we just want to suffer. But the point is that there's something about the vulnerability of the human condition, which is very much in evidence there, that allows us to be at our best, strangely enough. I mean, we sort of tend to think that being at our best means being invulnerable, oddly enough. But that's actually not true, just if we look at our experience. I mean, there's so many ways in which a kind of vulnerability allows us to be at our best. You've talked a lot about being stretched and so forth. Imagine a person that never allowed them himself to be stretched, that always thought, I'm fine just as I am. There's a condition, it's a medical condition, you know, people can't feel pain. That's not normal, actually. And the point is that when you recognize, as the songwriter Leonard Cohen says, there's a crack, there's a crack in everything, that's how the light gets in. When you really realize what that means, then you precisely are not closed in yourself. There's a fruitfulness that comes with that. That's what you mean by the multiplication. You know, whether it's the woman suffering the pains of childbirth in order to allow another human being to come into the world, that kind of fecundity, but there's so many other examples, you know. The man who sacrifices his wants, his desires to serve that family. Chesterton said, about the life of man in the family. He has to go out and toil and work. The mother actually has the glorious job of showing the child the universe. Man has to die to that. He has to go and toil. That's a sacrifice. Right. So it's not just a truth of the Christian religion that there's no fruitfulness without sacrifice. That is a truth of the Christian religion, but one of the reasons why it's the truth of the Christian religion and and why the Christian religion is true is that it makes sense, it fits with the oddness of the human condition. That's what Chesterton saw, namely that there's no fruitfulness without sacrifice. And Adrienne, I think, really does help us to understand that and helps us to understand that the difficulty involved in that is part of the beauty that's involved in that. Just like, as we said in an earlier episode, already the difficult act of saying, 
in confession, I did this, that, and the other thing without trying to manipulate the story so that you still look good is already an expression of mercy, is already a grace. It's so deep and yet it's so important and relevant in our own lives as we contemplate and meditate and then go out and do whatever he tells you to do. It may look different than the person sitting next to you, and that's okay. Adrian, I, I wish we could had more time, but any final thoughts? Well, yeah, there are a lot of final thoughts, of course. Uh, that's why it would be great if we had more time. But I guess I would just say that one thing that I think has become clear in this discussion is that it's worth reading Adrienne because she helps you understand that being Catholic is precisely not one lifestyle option among many. It's not even the best lifestyle option available on the market, but that it's the truth. It's the truth because to be Catholic is to be sort of at the place where all of the human reality, everything that we are, opens up to receive everything that God is. And to be at that place is to be in at the heart of what is, of what's real, of what's true. To quote another songwriter, I mean, this is stuff that works. It's stuff that's real, that holds up. Adrienne through her combination of natural and supernatural gifts, is a marvelous guide and extraordinarily helpful in not just realizing that once and then thinking, okay, I've got it, but relearning that again every day. And there are people, and, and I mean, I guess I would be one of them that would say, uh, you know, she's part of my daily bread. Mm. Good food for the journey. Good food for the journey, indeed. Adrian, thank you so much. Chris, you're welcome, and thank you for allowing me to participate in this. You've been listening to A Handmaid of the Lord, The Life and Legacy of Adrienne von Speyer with Dr. Adrian Walker. To obtain the published works of Adrienne von Speyer, visit Ignatius.com, the website for her publisher, Ignatius Press or you can find them at any fine Catholic bookstore. To hear and or to download this episode, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for A Handmaid of the Lord, The Life and Legacy of Adrienne von Speyer with Dr. Adrian Walker. <laughs>